Uh, good evening, everybody. Wow, there are people behind. Okay, this is this is new for me. So um, I feel like I'm ignoring you all, but please, we'll we'll be okay. All right. Um, my name is Brett Harris. Uh, I'm a musician here in Durham, and uh, it's an honor to be here uh, with you all tonight to to worship with you uh, and fill in. So uh, if if you will, as we as we enter into a time of of worshiping together, we're going to do that by singing uh, this this old hymn. So uh, you can find the words on the sheet if you got one when you walked in, and if not, you can go grab one real quick or borrow from a neighbor. But um, please feel free to to sing along, and everything's good. All right.
here. You already start. I get no respect. Well, welcome to Amazeway. It's great to have all of you here with us. Um, Brett, it's great to have you here with us tonight. Um, I know that you said when we were talking a little bit earlier that you're on hiatus kind of from playing around, but is there a way that people could kind of connect with, uh, I, I think you said you had a record that was out? or I do, or, yeah. yeah. Um, Where would people connect with that if they wanted to? Oh, the interwebs is wonderful for that. Um, or okay. just come say hi. That's or come even, say that's hi. That's even okay. better, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you with us in the... Um, we're at Emmaus Way, one of the things that we like to do within, uh, love to do in the community as part, as part of our worship gathering is to use artists in the area and to um, let them kind of speak into our congregational life and uh, put us in uh, touch with and kind of help us reflect on what it means to be part of the community of God. And uh, that first song, I mean, I haven't heard that in such a long time. That's such the fabric of kind of the background that I grew up in. I can remember uh, kind of being in church gatherings when I was a kid and grandparents and, you know, kind of crazy aunts and all different people around, but kind of uh, some of that stuff, uh, some of those songs, those old hymns kind of, I don't even know, I don't even have to look at the sheet, it's amazing how you kind of remember that stuff uh, for years and years, so it's great to have you with us and it's great to have you kind of putting those things in front of us tonight. Um, we at Emmaus Way are a community of people who are captivated by the gospel of Christ and who gather together on a weekly basis to read text with one another, to listen to one another's voices, to uh, hear where God is moving and where God is at work in our midst. Um, and we are also are a community of people who are committed to working uh, with and participating with God and what God's doing here in Durham uh, and in our local area um, and in the community that we love and we find ourselves living in. Um, so we're looking to connect with all the, the other communities around us here in Durham that are participating in what God's doing, um, and that's how we understand what, who we are and what we're, we're doing uh, uh, here tonight and kind of through this community. Um, so I want to welcome you here with us. Uh, it's great to have, uh, I see a lot of kind of new faces tonight, so just we're very informal in the sense of there's snacks. If you want to get up and grab a snack at any time while we're gathering, please feel free to do that. There's also coffee and water. I think there might be some tea over there. Please feel free uh, to do that as well. Um, uh, we also are a group of people who kind of will celebrate the table and move toward the Eucharist at the end of the service. And hey, Ryan, it's good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new, old, new old face kind of back in the community. Um, but we'll move for, toward the table, and all of you will be invited uh, to do that with us at the end. We're a community that fellowships and gathers around the table as part of our, the core of our identity. I have a couple announcements for you real quickly. Um, one of those is that next Sunday, uh, I feel somewhat sacrilegious in saying this, but people know that it's Super Bowl Sunday. So I think that after the service, uh, the Brogans... See Andy and Anita. Uh, the Brogans are hosting a Super Bowl party, so all of you are invited to come over. I guess they'll start at roughly whenever we get done with They're service. DVRing the game. They're DVRing the game, so best, basically roughly whenever we get done, uh, you're invited to that. And their their address uh, will be up on the Maceway website, um, so you can also see if there's anything you need to bring or want to bring there as well. Um, the other thing that we have coming up is, and this is a little bit further down the road, quite a bit further down the road, um, is an Ash Wednesday service. Um, it's typically one of the kind of intimate uh, gathering services, uh, but really an important service for us in Emmaus Way and how we kind of mark the liturgical calendar and moving with the church year. Um, that is February 13th, so it's a little bit of an early uh, time this year. And we'll be meeting at the DeCanto's house uh, on February 13th at 7 p.m. Is that right? 7 p.m.? Getting confused. 
Anyway, it'll be on the website. If I get the time wrong, look on the website and, and uh, it'll be there. Um, also, if you're interested in connecting with some of uh, the community, if you're connecting with small groups or different things like that, we have a number of those that meet throughout the week. Um, and Elizabeth Eford, who's there in the back, her email address is also on the website. If you're interested in joining up with a small group throughout the week, um, please email her and connect with her. And also, um, if you are want to participate in kind of a group that reads theology, politics, economics, different things like that, uh, on Thursday evenings we have a pub group that meets down here uh, just inside the downtown loop at Bull McCabe's at 8.15 on Thursday evenings, um, and we talk all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of come in, come leave whenever you want to, um, kind of no committal, but we'd love to have you type of environment. Um, so once again, welcome to Maceway. It's wonderful to have you here with us. Um, just wanted to remind people that there are a, a kind of a dedicated group of us that go out to dinner um, after church every week. And um, tonight we're going to try again to go to Tyler's. We tried last week and they had some special event and we got bumped. But uh, so just wanted to have like a kind of an open invitation. And if you ever are wondering where we're going, me um, or Laura, we kind of usually um, point, uh, whatever. It's kind of, it's very loose. So you're welcome. Great. Thanks, Brett, for announcing that. So once again, uh, that's tonight, after service, usually on any given Sunday night, there's a group of people that grab dinner afterward. Uh, it's kind of an extension of the table. Um, so welcome once again. Brett, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thanks, Thanks. for being with us tonight. Cool. Thanks. So we're going to continue and, and sing along. Um, actually, when uh, when Josh contacted me uh, about uh, playing for y'all tonight and, and shared the text, I, I found it to be a very challenging text. Uh, and so I hope as we as we go through it, You'll, you'll really um, engage in it and wrestle with it, but it's not the type of thing that songs come to mind the most easily. Um, but, but these are a few um, that I found, and some of them I'd forgotten, and some of them I hadn't thought of in that way, but this is an old hymn, and uh, I invite you to find the words on the page. Savior, hear our humble cry. 
two or three emails of I think I remember this um, so yeah I hope you guys uh, find it it speaks to you uh, as it did to me
night that just drag out all the things I've done But even the dogs, mama, oh Even the dogs getting some She begged him and pleaded Oh, my daughter's afflicted and you can make a will I said I got my own children for whom I've got to care She cried even the dogs, master And even the dogs get their share We climbed up the hillsides And we roamed around and laughed in the rainy wind them were the days that we stood at odds and ends But even the dogs, mama Sometimes get to come in into what we're going to be talking about tonight. And now it is on the interwebs because it is on the podcast. Um, so it is floating out there. Um, but yes, thank you, Brett, for I thought you did a great job of those two songs kind of preparing us for um, this more uh, very literal song that kind of gets to the meat of what we're going to be um, talking about tonight. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to stand up, to pass the peace of Christ to one another, to grab some delicious, uh, I think we have strawberry shortcake up there for snack tonight. Grab some coffee, and I'll give you a shout in a few minutes. So Andy Brogan just gave me the no pressure. There's only, you know, 25% new folks in the room. No pressure on 
the hardest text that you could probably pick, you did. So let's go. Um, and Tim is stranded in Fayetteville, or he was stranded in Fayetteville, and now is working hard on his uh, schoolwork. So um, I like that when uh, when the you know chips are down. That's right. Who has to step up? That's right. Um, ben Haas also mentioned that uh, we should put in all of our music uh, doings at Emmaus Way a harmonica clause. That is, if you can play the harmonica, you are extra invited. Is that what the clause was? Um, Travis got really excited when he said, Brad has the thing with the one-man band and the... Okay, he didn't say the one-man band, but if he could play a drum with his foot, I think we would have to uh, pay him our entire budget just to play every week. Well, welcome to Amaze Way, and welcome to the, I think we're now in our third week of the uh, our diversity series. Um, we kind of tracked through a general overview of some themes the first week to let us through that, uh, the first two weeks, actually, and then last week we had fun... Um, looking at Zacchaeus and doing our best not to sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Um, Some of you failed. Some of you did great. Um, But you guys had a lot of good comments um, and some great insight about kind of who we are in the story, where we find ourselves, whose voice we might uh, hear, um, and, and kind of what we can learn from the way that Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus and why he chooses to... Um, thank you, graceful. Um, why he chooses to go to Zacchaeus. Um, and tonight we're going to, uh, once again, kind of look at why uh, Jesus chooses to encounter this certain person. Um, and I know you guys are excited. It's not color forms, but the uh, wonderful whiteboard has made an appearance again, so get ready for some good illustrations. Um, I wanted to mention, I really enjoyed, is Katie here tonight? Katie, um, she made a great comment last week about uh, what Zacchaeus' friends might have felt like, and she compared it to a Ben Fold song, and I wanted to kind of mention that as a starting point tonight, that um, we're once again going to be kind of transported into a, what was the crowd around this person feeling like, and, um, but I wanted to, to give a shout out to Katie for um, not only mentioning a song that fit perfectly, but also mentioning a song that talks about uh, an acid trip in church, which was kind of impressive. Um, so, <laughs> um, I don't know where to go from there, really. There's probably nowhere to go from there. Um, but this series, we're, we're going to be encountering a lot of, um, of interesting people and a lot of um, kind of uncomfortable things that Jesus says or Jesus does. And no other text does it better than this text tonight. Um, one of the things that Tim kind of led us into last week was this idea of risk and hospitality. Um, what might it mean for somebody like Zacchaeus to receive hospitality or to offer it? We talked about how it might look for us as people not just to be the ones that offer that hospitality, but also uh, receive it, and with that kind of risk, uh, rejection, and discomfort. So this week we're going to talk more about risk and what it means to venture into territory that is uncomfortable and dangerous, um, and what it means to be both kind of demanding and gracious in what we ask of God and one another. So before we read our text for today, um, I'm going to give you the question that I want us to think about first. So as we look at this chapter, or this part of the chapter of Matthew 15, um, how is the woman in this passage, this Canaanite woman, 
How is she different than Zacchaeus? Or is she different than Zacchaeus? Um, I actually didn't ask anybody to read the text. Would somebody read our text for us tonight? Great. So what do you think? What about that question that I asked? How is the woman in this passage different than Zacchaeus that we read from last week? If you uh, weren't with us last week, um, Zacchaeus is a, is a tax collector and is, finds himself in a tree um, with Jesus, um, not inviting him to his house, but inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house. So we talked about kind of issues of class and, um, and things like that. So it's a little very brief uh, primer on Zacchaeus. So how is this woman, this Canaanite woman, how is she different than Zacchaeus? She's not a Jew. She's not a Jew, that's right. She is, both of those things, that's right. Zacchaeus probably isn't Jewish either, but she's in your face. I mean, in the other places where Jesus talks to somebody, I don't remember someone who's not Jewish coming up to Jesus and practically demanding something. Right, so the way that she uh, interacts with Jesus is very different. Instead of being approached, she is approaching him. Right. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't immediately accept her in. He kind of pushes her away at first. Hmm. He doesn't do that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's true. So we'll get to that in a minute, too, how Jesus' reaction is different in this passage than maybe in the passage we read last week, or maybe even most of the scripture that we read about Jesus encountering folks, um, how very different that is. So what else? So what else is different? So her, the way she uh, initiates conversation, her kind of ethnicity, her gender, all of those are, are very different than Zacchaeus. What else? What else do you notice? Her sort of intervention into uh, Jesus' ministry is not on her own behalf. Mm. Zacchaeus is sort of seeking something for himself, but she's actually seeking healing for her daughter. So she's got this kind of on behalf of... Um, She's got something, you know, that's not just for her. It's not, hey, Jesus, can you do this for me? But somebody's depending on me, so I have to depend on you. Thanks, Josh. That's good. What else? Is there anything else that strikes you or just even strikes you about this, their encounter? Jesus seeks out Zacchaeus, whereas, like, Jesus is kind of of ignoring him, just kind of trying to – it's almost like they're portraying – Jesus and his disciples are trying to pretend that she's not even there. Um, so she's kind of, I mean, she's kind of invisible, which I think is um, typical for, I mean, like this place in time for women. Uh, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, when missionaries um, come to Africa, then what, what, what Africans want to know 
is we want to know not, you know, we don't want to be told, well, there's no such thing as demons. We want to be told that the God you're preaching is stronger than the demons. And something very similar is happening to She's a Canaanite. She's from a different religious system. Um, but she doesn't appeal to the Canaanite gods and her own religious system. She doesn't think that's got any power. She thinks Jesus has got power. Um, and I think that's really important. And Jesus doesn't say to her, no, there's no such thing as a demon. He says, no, your daughter's healed. Um, so he's got spiritual authority to, um, to heal her daughter. I think it's, it, it's not just that she's... Um, I don't think it's just she's ethnically different. She's coming from a different religious background as well. Right, so we don't know where in the story we're finding her. Is she, has she tried those gods and, and found them lacking? Or is this her first kind of go at it? Um, you know, or is this the tenth doctor that she's, uh, that she's brought her daughter to, right? So we kind of don't know where we find her in the story. But you're right, Andrew, I think that she, there's definitely um, this persistence in that she knows that Jesus um, will ultimately be the healing, uh, or bring the healing power that, that her and her daughter need. Right, that's helpful. I remember, was it, I think Elizabeth said last week that the naming of Zacchaeus was really influential um, in that passage. And here she names Jesus as um, of, of the house of Israel and, and son of David. So she kind of puts him in a lineage and recognizes where his authority comes from. That's really interesting, Sarah. That's helpful. Anybody else? Yeah. I mean, you have to give it to her. She is persistent, isn't she? She's called a dog, and she continues to, to kind of come back with these. I mean, she doesn't slow her down, right? So in the face of kind of a racial slur, she is, she's still persistent. That's a good point. What else? Is there anything else that, that jumps out at you? I, we can kind of move on to this. That second part of my question is, yes, yeah, is how is, is Jesus different in this encounter versus the way he interacted with Zacchaeus? to make her work for whatever it is he's going to give her, right? I mean, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus doesn't even have time to ask for anything. You know, he's, he's sort of, Jesus speaks to him, he offers up a, a proposal, and, and Jesus seems to have already decided, like, mm-hmm. this is this is what's going to, I'm going to go to your house. And she, this is a long exchange in which, you know, he, he you know, like, yeah, he's, he slurs her, he, like, you know, puts her off, and, yeah, that's a very different way in which we're looking at Jesus interacting. And I, I think Jesus is confident in her. So I think he's like, because there are other people there too. There's disciples. And they're very conscious. They're with their rabbi. Right? And they're very conscious that she is not Jewish. And that she's a woman. And, and when she comes along, I think Jesus is pretty confident that she's going to persist. So I think that the way I read this is, is when he's saying the stuff about the dogs, he's kind of setting it up for her. 
to say, oh, but the dogs, you know, even the dogs and the thing, he, he, he's expecting her to come back in some way, kind of saying, but, you know, um, even if there's this hierarchy, you can be merciful to me. And, and then what are, you know, what are his disciples and the other people going to say? Well, he shouldn't be. A rabbi shouldn't be. Because the way he set it up, like, how could anybody say, well, now you should still say no? Because, sure. And so I, I wonder if, if he's not relying on her, her kind of boldness to set it up so that other people can't, you know, so that if, so that if they kind of want to condemn this, then they're actually, you know, they, they've got no place to go. They can't condemn it. This is one of those passages that I really wish I could see the facial expressions <laughs> between Jesus and the woman and the disciples that, like, so much is conveyed. We get the words, right? But we don't get, is the, was there, like, a wink? Was there, like, a, like, you know, I, I'm egging you on to, for you to kind of unravel this? Or is this, like, stone-faced Jesus? I mean, we don't know. So uh, we have to kind of imagine and put ourselves in that place of, Hey, if you were a disciple, what would you be thinking of what was going on? Would you say, like, yeah, Jesus, tell her to leave? Or would you say, wait, you just were kind of a jerk and a racist jerk? Like, wh- what, do we, what do we do with that? So I think, I think both of those are, are important in terms of what we're presented with is this kind of idea that, um, you know, Jesus kind of pursued Zacchaeus, right? He says, this is kind of my plan. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite myself over to your house. Whereas this woman seems much more of an interruption to kind of what Jesus was doing in the area. And it is only because persistent of her persistence that, that things change. Now those are helpful. Anybody else? Any parting shot on this? Well, I think it's also significant that this comes right after the Pharisees are really rejecting what he's saying. And then this woman from Canaan comes. This, this woman who, he's not even supposed to be bringing this to her. And she comes to him and she's seeking him out. Absolutely. I think that's um, that's kind of where we're going to go next um, is to see why does this woman matter? She is framed um, in between kind of two very different sections of scripture, um, and we're kind of gonna, we're going to look at why is she there, and what does it matter for us that she is there? It's interesting when I was planning this week, I put an ask out on kind of social media world and said, you know, any any wise words, any advice. And most of my seminary friends and pastor friends said, oh, I'm so sorry you have to preach on that. And I said, actually, I chose it. Um, And, you know, maybe that was really foolish, but we'll see. But most of the people I talked to agreed that we don't know all that much about what to do with this in the canon. Um, We don't really know sometimes how to get around it. And it's hard, hard um, piece of scripture. If it comes up in the lectionary, I know most pastors that I know kind of say, we're going to do the other one. Let's do the psalm that week, or let's, you know, let's go somewhere else. So, um, and I say that as not that I'm taking on this, but that you are taking on this with me. And so um, I just applaud you for, for sticking through uh, this with me. Um, but obviously this is important. It is in two gospel accounts. The story of uh, the Canaanite woman or the Seraphonician woman um, is in both this account in, in Matthew and also in the Mark uh, gospel. It's in Mark 7. Um, and so I wanted to kind of look at the structure of where it is in Matthew and then maybe see if um, what it has to offer us. And what does this, this narrative of this woman um, have to offer that other stories maybe don't? And so if you will forgive my terrible... Um, 
writing and illustrating, I'm going to use our whiteboard over here. And I apologize to folks behind the communion table. You're just going to have to imagine how beautiful this is. Um, so I'm going to draw a little, bit, a little diagram of Matthew 15, okay? So just to give us some visual, uh, you know, yeah, visual storytelling of, of how this might fit. So we have, this is not, okay, Matthew 15. We can see a vague outline of, I think, a man that Tim drew. So we obviously know how much this gets used and or washed. Um, so remind me if I draw anything terrible or offensive that I erase it, because it will be here for years to come. Okay, so um, you mentioned that in the beginning of Matthew 15, we have this discussion with the Pharisees. Um, it, can anybody tell me, I have lots of good biblical scholars or Sunday school scholars in this room, what happens at the beginning of Matthew 15? are titled the Traditions of the Elders. And so there's this exchange that of the Pharisees and the scribes coming to Jesus and saying, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders and not wash their hands before they eat? And this is not because of, um, of germs. They probably didn't know what bacteria or viruses were then. But this was a, a ritual of becoming clean, right? This is what you did to prepare yourself for um, something such as eating. Um, and Jesus right back says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So it's clear that, like, Matthew 15 is Jesus on snark patrol. Like, he is going to be kind of giving it back to folks that are questioning him all throughout this chapter. Um, but, yeah, this idea of what kind of what is the, um, the heart of the law, right? Why are we, why do you do things like prepare yourself for a meal? Um, and so the Pharisees clearly want to understand who is in and who's out, right? And how are we kind of the most in? Okay, so what happens after that? What happens, um, well, actually, after that, Jesus calls them hypocrites. So these dudes, not sure. Hmm, maybe? There's lots of question marks up here, and, and that's a sad face. So things are getting really complicated and good. Um, so, so what happens right after that? So in the, in the beginning, we have this discussion of, um, of the Pharisaical kind of, uh, what do we do before we eat? And right after that, there's a section called Things That Defile. So somebody give me an idea of what that might be. Laura hinted at it. Adultery. Adultery. 
Yes, certain animals. So now, at this point, um, this is not just the Pharisees, but this is Jesus speaking to a crowd. But we imagine this is probably a particular crowd of people that are asking these questions, once again kind of concerned about who is right, who is wrong, what is clean, what is unclean. So... So we have these kind of, these like um, very black and white things, right? So who is in and who is out and what side of things are we in on? And that, that's kind of what we have as Jesus' interaction, this first part of, of Matthew 15. So in the, uh, in the second kind of section, Jesus says, um, do you not see what, whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. So he kind of turns it on its head. The Pharisees and this crowd, they want to know, you know, what do we eat? Why does it matter? And Jesus basically says, it's what um, kind of your actions that surround, the people you surround yourself to, the thoughts that you have, the intent in your heart. Um, And so he kind of takes it a step further, right? He goes from, you know, only certain people and certain foods to, okay, well, maybe it's not just that. Um, He kind of gives a hint. So I guess... What I wanted to show at the very beginning is this kind of idea of this is a bounded set, right? These are certain people that do certain things in a certain way, and that is what the kingdom of God is, right? So we get this kind of very specific interaction um, with people, and really what they're concerned about is what can I do to make sure that I'm in? I'm in the club, right? Um, And then we get to chapter 21. Well, we've already gotten there, but we're going to actually bypass it and come back. And that is where we meet the Canaanite woman and her daughter, who is mostly off stage, but is a very important character. How old is her daughter? I was going to draw a baby, but that doesn't sound right. Um, okay. So immediately following the story of the Canaanite woman, um, right after Jesus heals her daughter, we get two more sections before the end of Matthew 15. First we get Jesus cures many people, and then feeding the 4,000, which is the sequel to the slightly more successful feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. But like most sequels, it does less with a bigger budget. Um, but regardless, that it's miraculous in that people are fed, people are healed. Um, so I'd like to call Matthew 15 part three. So if this is part one, this is part two. Part three... I mean, the titles literally are many and thousands. Those are the words that we have in these texts. So many people get food. That's a chicken bone. I think it was a fish. No, there we go, fish. Um, It is interesting. I don't know what the theories are about why why are 5,000 fed in Matthew 14 with five loaves of bread? And 4,000 are fed in Matthew 15 with seven loaves of bread. Anita, you're our math person. How does that work out? What's that? No Bible math. Bible math is a whole, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Okay, so many are healed and many are fed, right? So in between that, we have the Canaanite woman. 
what happens here? Sorry, am I blocking everybody? I mean, I know this is very important for your, for your comprehension. Um, what happens here that leads us from a bounded kind of set of people that are in and people that are out to kind of gracious abundance? Sure. She talks about you know, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that come from after the table, and then here come all the crumbs. You know? Right. I'm going to draw a dog just because why not? Um, yeah, so, so what happens and what is opened up here that allows for those people that previously have only gotten offered crumbs? What does she do? And this is, I'm not asking necessarily for answers, but if you guys want to shout them out, I would love to hear them. Abundant grace. Abundant grace. I was just going to say faith. Like it sure. translates from an ethnicity or religion mm-hmm. to your faith is what has healed your daughter. Absolutely. I saw a hand over here, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, there's a whole passage of ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, and um, knock and the door will be opened to you. And she asked. Absolutely. So she puts herself in a kind of risky position of, I'm going to ask and I might get told no. And she actually does get told no several times, but <coughs> so she keeps asking. And those are all helpful today. I missed a hand, but maybe not. Um, yeah, so. This was really helpful for me when I was thinking about this text, is that there is something fundamentally that shifts with this woman. And a lot of you kind of named named this and kind of hinted at it, that she is in almost every way different than Zacchaeus, right? She is different in ethnicity, she is different in gender, um, and she's just a different character than what we see even in most of the gospel texts. Now, this is the reason that I was not a teacher, because I cannot go from the, like, teaching at the board to gracefully sitting and teaching here, so bear with me. Um, yeah, so what we see is what, starting as a very narrow focus in the beginning of Matthew 15 on a group of people who um, want to know what's in and what's out, um, the chapter ends with this kind of bursting of the, at the seams of abundance. Um, So Jesus has just finished speaking of unclean things in the beginning of Matthew, uh, when he's faced with the ultimate example of uncleanliness with this woman, right? She is, I think Gail said, she is, you know, the ultimate outsider, right? She is a woman. She she doesn't even have a male kind of escort, a male family member to come up with her to approach Jesus. She um, might worship God, strange gods, like Andrew said. She is a foreigner. Um, and she's kind of intimately in contact with a sick child, a child who is demon-possessed. So that would also, just by association, make her unclean. So we kind of get this, you know, stark uh, contrast with the folks that he was interacting at the very beginning. And like Sarah pointed out, she calls him by name, and she professes her faith in him just by saying who he is. Um, and then she argues with him. 
So we get to the sticky part. When she says, when she calls out to Jesus, at least first, what does she get? What's that? Ignored. Ignored. So any of you parents know, what is the first response when there's a little voice that you don't want to hear? Radio silence? Maybe they'll go away. Maybe they'll figure it out themselves. Maybe, you know, dad will hear and answer. Right? So then the disciples pester him, right? And after being pestered to kind of address her, he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, i.e. not you, not this woman. And then she pleads to him yet again, and he brings out the big guns. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And that is exactly what she says back to him. That kind of spunkiness and that really wit. She says, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. But that's a really good point, Gail, and and we'll get to that for sure in terms of who is Israel and what does it mean to be sent to this house of Israel and and kind of blurring those boundaries. So, yeah. Um, I was just, I'm, I'm kind of like looking back and forth between Mark and Matthew and realizing that like this is before Peter's declaration that that Jesus is is God oh. um, and, and, and that's like and I know in Mark you know is very secretive about Jesus is very secretive about who he really is and hasn't you know it always tells people to kind of you know keep that to yourself so I, I don't know if that if I'm not as familiar with the, the what's coming in the chapters before Matthew if, if there has been some kind of recognition of Jesus as the son of David. Sure. And the fact that she's coming out and saying something like that is very counter to, especially just leaving the Pharisees. Right. And the people who are guarding the law and, like, kind of are going to be the ones eventually coming after him. Like, it seems like she's try- she's kind of breaking through what, and she, she sees what's coming. Right. She right. sees something that no one else can see. <coughs> um, and she's, yeah, kind of, I imagine she's kind of breaking through. Um, of God. That's a good way to put it. Like, there's a very public aspect to this, right? It's very declarative and it's very, um, yes, it's something new is on the scene, something new is happening. That's a good point, Brett. So, at the beginning of chapter 15, this woman was outside of the house of Israel by kind of the standards of the Pharisees, outside of healing, outside of this movement of the kingdom. She was a dog. But at the end of her encounter with Jesus, she is praised for her faith. Healing has come to her daughter, and boundaries have been blurred. So in a chapter that starts with either ors, clean or defiled, inbounds or out of bounds, this person, through a very specific particularity, has ushered in a new understanding of what it means to be part of God's kingdom. It is not despite her gender or her race. It's not God overcoming those things but precisely because of them. Her femaleness, her ethnicity, they have not been erased. They remain markers of what this new Israel is. And that was what Gail's getting at. What what does it mean to be part of Israel? What I wanted to get at was that 
she changes that. This is the new Israel, this Canaanite woman that has been called a dog. This is the new Israel. When we were talking about that this week at text, Tim remarked that um, this chapter of Matthew, and Brett remarked it this quite well, that this is where we see this trajectory of wineskins bursting. So this movement from bounded, pharisaical groups and rules to kind of this overflowing abundance of healing and feasting. And if this is the trajectory, then this woman acts, I kind of jokingly said this at pub group, as this agent of bursting. She's this agent of change, of this new life bursting on the scene and new understanding. This is Israel's existence being turned on its head being turned inside out and redefined. Judith Gundry Wolf writes it this way. In Matthew 15, human insistence on divine mercy, which is blind mercy, dramatically reverses a pattern of exclusion. Human insistence on divine mercy reverses a pattern of exclusion. So when we read this tonight, when we come at this text, we're all going to look at it differently. We're going to read it and see different things and hear different voices. It's gonna sit with us in a really different way. But there's one kind of thread that I want us to, to hold on to and to all kind of gather around, and that's this idea of gracious persistence. How can our insistence of, on, how can our human insistence on divine mercy affect the way we live our lives? Of how we see our gender, our standing, of how the way we use language, the things we insist upon, the injustices we insist on writing, the places we see hurt and insist on standing with folks, the places we insist on God moving. I'm going to close tonight by reading a prayer from a Benedictine that my sweet husband found for me and really fit incredibly perfect. And I think we encounter a text like this tonight um, I can see a lot of you, you know, thinking hard, looking at the text, not sure what to say or wanting to say a lot. And I think that that's what this kind of text gives to us. It gives us um, kind of a lack of words and an overabundance of words of what do we do um, in terms of facing places where um, our difference causes pain or not understanding still why if Jesus has come to everyone it doesn't seem like Jesus has come for everyone. And so I want uh, to end tonight with a prayer that says it better than I think I could. And so I would ask, would you pray with me? May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may seek boldly truth and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done.
and the blessing of God, the Supreme Majesty, and our Creator, Jesus, the Incarnate Word, and the Holy Spirit, our Advocate and Guide, be with you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen. Brett's going to come and lead us tonight in songs of confession and absolution. And then Dan's going to invite us to the table. And I want to encourage you in this series of diversity that we're we're kind of we're coming around a lot of um, really kind of frustrating, interesting, painful, hopeful things. Um, and I want these conversations that we start tonight to really just be that, to be kind of the starting of conversations that we're going to continue to have in dinners and in home groups, um, to have with the community around us. Um, but I also would encourage you if there's something that. Um, you know, something that you want to share on, on these nights, if there's, you know, a piece of art, a, a, you know, a piece of poetry, something like that, we would love your input um, from both the text and an art side of things. So Brett's going to lead us now. You got a dangerous background and everything you dreamed of yeah you're the dark angel it don't show when you break up and I'm the one who to know yeah I'm the one left in the dark
suggested it was we were working through and um, I hope um, that I wasn't alone in this um, but this song kind of hit me square between the eyes uh, today as I was going through it and it spoke a truth I was needing to hear and so I, I hope that the same is true for you um, so uh, hopefully we can make this a, a prayer and a, an affirmation um, that God does not give up on us um, even when sometimes uh, the words that he has for us are, are not the easiest to take. Bleed. 
tonight that, you know, looking for the gospel, you were actually going to have to go through Bill O'Reilly to get to the good news. <laughs> Who actually thought that they were going to have to uh, come in and encounter Sean Hannity before you actually get some good news of the gospel? I mean, it, uh, you look at this passage and it's actually quite shocking. You, you come in and you expect Jesus to be this warm and cuddly figure who, you know, whatever, come on, it's all good, come in. And you get this figure who all of a sudden is throwing stereotypes and brash comments and off-collar statements out and in the face of people. It's kind of a shocking text in a certain sense, and I really appreciate you walking us through it, Amy. You know, a lot of times in our lives, it's actually a lot easier to live according to stereotypes. There's a lot of things that are, we live in a very complex world, there's a lot of things going on, and it's very easy, and in some sense it's very, uh, a kind of, it gives us a little bit of comfort to live in a world where there's a clear distinction between the kind of people who uh, are a threat to the world and those of us who actually are the good people in the world. Those of us who care about what really matters and those people who really don't get it. And you can imagine with the Pharisees in this text that they kind of like the Jesus who's responding here. All right, give it to them. Yeah, it's time to get the stereotypes out. It's time to really play things up, right? We're the insiders. I mean, they've spent a long time, lives, living according to those things that define them as the good people. And then in a complete twist right here, one witty comment allows this woman to become the kingdom of God. And in a really remarkable way, that which was completely over-stereotyped actually becomes an image of what the kingdom of God looks like. And in some sense, what we encounter in this passage through this woman's persistence and pushing on Jesus is the notion that God's grace is breaking out and in making its way, invading the world, intruding into the world in such a way that those who look as if they are going to be on the outside all of a sudden find themselves captured by that grace. Those that look as if they must be those that are completely unfaithful are brought into the heart of faith. As we come to the table tonight, some of us come to the table with a sense of, man, I must be the insider. Thank God I get to come to the table. And we might find ourselves challenged by, oh, whoa, reconsidering what it means to be at the center and at the periphery. And others of us tonight come as those who will be declared faithful at the table, where we're pushing for it, we're running for it, we're insisting and persisting to get there. I invite you to this table tonight, to wherever or however you're coming, to receive that grace of God. 
To find that kingdom redefined. To find the love of God breaking out in our midst. Breaking down barriers. Changing people's lives. Creating reconciliation where there was division and unity. Where there was anger and resentment. Come now to the table. Receive the good gifts of God for you, the people of God. We at Emmaus Way celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to come. Please celebrate the table with us. We break bread for one another, handing it to one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you. And we pour wine or juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you. We do that recognizing that God's gracious gift is turning our world itself inside out. Come to the table and receive those gifts. Welcome. Amen. Hey, y'all. Thanks for coming tonight. Um, if I can really quick be that pesky reminder, if, if you could get your stuff after you've gotten communion and, and start those conversations, um, if you can just move your jackets, stack your chairs, uh, and just kind of move ourselves this way, that'll make our uh, teardown people have a lot of easier time. But thanks for coming tonight. Um, uh, really enjoyed dialoguing with y'all. Go in the peace of Christ.